everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 97, Gnome Shell Smackdown, recorded June 2nd, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Thought I'd go ahead and get it right out there in the open. Chris hates Gnome Shell, and the last month hasn't changed his mind any at all. There's the review. You can go ahead and stop the show now. Uh, <laughs> See y'all. Uh, I'm off for dinner. The the nominal topic of the show is Chris's month with Gnome Shell, but uh, really it'll be uh, a whole bunch of tech news, a whole bunch of listener feedback, and Chris ranting for a minute or so. So there you go. You know what to Maybe. expect out of the show. Maybe. We'll see. So first off, before I introduce anybody, I'll go ahead and introduce first. Uh, the Chris that I was referring to is, of course, the command line godfather, Mr. Christopher Knees. Hi, Chris. Good evening and salamanders, everyone. Salamanders to you as well. And hopefully feeling better this week is the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hey, Mark. And greetings from a has-of-tomorrow gainfully employed person. Uh, so you, you were... By the way, I, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say this on the air. Um, you can tell me to edit it out later if you want me to. A guy called me and said, Seth Anderson listed you as a reference. I called him back, got his voicemail. He never called me. I, I guess he just wanted to know that I was actually a human because I left him a voicemail right. and that was the end of it. Wow, because they actually they liked my references. So um, I don't know. I guess maybe they just went on to somebody else. Yeah. But yeah, I... Uh, I don't want to bash the company that I did work for because, well, I'm trying to be politically correct, but it's just a good thing I don't work for them anymore. And uh, it worked out in such a way that I don't feel bad about not working for them right before I start with this new place on Monday. So I have a new job and it will be making more money than I've ever made before in my life. And not you won't be jet setting around the country. No, and the one drawback is I won't earn enough frequent flyer miles to visit my brother in Hawaii. But the plus side is, with this job, I could actually afford a ticket. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sounds like you're That's making good, big boy money for a change. Well, not like I say, the most it'll be the most I've ever I made. I mean, let's face but, it, it's not you know, podcaster money, but, uh, you know. Right. <laughs> uh, first off, I wanted to say uh, an apology for last week's episode. Last week, as we as we made a point to mention, Seth was was feeling uh, under the weather and was having some, shall we say, gastric distress issues. And he was being very conscientious. And anytime he needed to, uh, shall we say, relieve some internal pressure, uh, he would uh, mute his Skype microphone. And so I never knew that it was happening. Unfortunately, he wasn't muting his local recording. So he sent me the local recording. I mixed that in with the show, not knowing it was there. And so several times throughout the show were rather boisterous um, expulsions of various types. Uh, so I just, all I can do is say that one's on me. It's not Seth being an ogre. It was entirely my fault for not paying better attention. Dude, I'm going to have to go listen to that show. It never even crossed. I was like, okay, I'm muted. I'm good. It never occurred to me. Oh, I didn't mute the Skype call yeah. or the uh, the Audacity recording. Yeah. So I apologize. It totally skipped my mind. But, you know, this will be something you can look back on and, you know, it'll call it the burping episode or something. Yeah, there were a couple of obvious burps and then a couple of things that 
bordered on um, more dramatic uh, sounds. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was obvious you were not feeling well. So, <laughs> yeah, I I really was, and that that that's been weird because I was like sick for a solid week, and normally it's a one day thing. So, but I, I am better now. So, for those of you the the dainty female listener. The one of you who might be out there. I apologize for insulting your sensibilities. The rest of the guys were like, probably like, yeah, it makes it more real. I don't know. Some One listener actually commented on the, the Google Plus post uh, saying that he enjoyed listening to to the sounds. I was I was listening to it the, the, the morning it released, the Wednesday morning, uh, on my way to work. And the first time I heard it, I was like, how did I miss that? And then, like, 30 seconds later, there's another one. Oh, my gosh. And then two minutes later, there's another one. Holy crap, they're all over the show, and I didn't know it. So. <laughs> I'm going to – I have to listen to it now. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. I, I, I'm uh, sad but proud at the same time. <laughs> so yeah, The guy cred is definitely high on that show. The middle school boys in the audience were giving you, you know, scorecards. <laughs> All the way around. So uh, I just wanted to get okay. that out in the open. Lest you think it was Seth being rude, it wasn't. It was all my fault. He was doing everything he thought he needed to do. Um, next time, Seth, use that switch on the mic. <laughs> That'll kill, kill both of them. Well, I remember I was using my uh, headset last oh, week yeah, because right. I couldn't find the boom at the church. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right so anyway it's all right uh, seth we still love you <laughs> having gotten that out of the way chris mentions uh an interesting project that uh, i have in fact heard of actually I actually that, that wasn't seth. mine okay. that was seth see the color yeah. that's the problem you use the wrong oh. color and it it's messed me up shame on you seth <laughs> uh, i just started typing i didn't even realize it was a different color sorry uh yeah i came across I don't even know how I found the link, but you know, and I thought of you and your uh, open source coffee, your um, Samba project to that guy's Active Directory, and then I came across <laughs> open source cola uh, and the actual open cola drink, and that um, was pretty cool. I was like, wow, this is something I might want to take a look at. You know, kind of make your own cola, and they even talk about how to make the actual soda water so you know it can be a stallman approved drink and you're not having to buy soda water as a base but uh it's uh you can go to wikipedia or just google open cola and it's there and you know i might get a couple of paychecks under my belt and i might start experimenting with something like this yeah it's been around for quite a while the the instructions are pretty simple uh put so much sugar as much sugar as you can into a glass add just enough water in it to make it li uh, liquid that's open cola. It makes you realize, I mean, that's probably very similar to a, a commercial cola recipe or a Dr. Pepper or a Mountain Dew or whatever. And when you read that recipe, it's like 95% of the overall volume is sugar. It's, uh, it's unreal how much they put in those things. It's, and it's very scary. Uh, no wonder why dentistry is a growing market. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of the coffee, I, two things have happened. Uh, I've come up with a name for it. Um, I, I was telling Ooh. a friend of mine about the, uh, the the project, my science experiment with coffee, and um, as I was explaining the process, he said, man, that's crazy, and I thought, crazy coffee, I like it, and if I ever decide to sell it, that's even a good brand name, 
And the motto is, yeah, it's it crazy is. good. Uh, so I went out and started, I thought, let's just see if the dom- domain crazycoffee.com is taken. It is. Somebody's squatting on it. And crazycoffee.org.net, whatever. But I couldn't find a business by that name. So I grabbed crazycoffee.us. So you can go out there and look at that. There's literally like two paragraphs there. It's just a skeleton site. But that's where I will put, I will open source my knowledge of how to make uh, the most obscene uh, process for Rube Goldberging coffee that you can come up with. Um, in fact, I've, uh, you know, originally, I think I mentioned it before, originally I was using laboratory-grade equipment, scientific stuff, highly specialized. Uh, this last couple of weeks, my, my uh, focus has been on making the requisite parts out of things you can buy at a combination of the hardware store and Walmart. And so uh, that's that's been my focus. I've come up with a prototype. Uh, I haven't had the chance to test it yet um, because I don't. I need a good analog for coffee. I don't want to waste good coffee on my prototype. I'm thinking what I might do is just put some cornmeal in the funnel and add some water, and that would probably get a decent analog so I can see if it'll work. You know, the idea is yeah. to filter uh, liquid out of a, a solid, but the, a very... Um, viscous mixture so i think cornmeal might be a good uh, or just go buy some cheap you know walmart grade coffee and uh yeah I mean, it's I probably gonna be that. about the same that. price yeah I could, I could go buy some um juan valdez and, and, do <laughs> well, and that, that, that coffee. would that would probably be a better test because you could like make some coffee in a coffee maker and then make it in your prototype and see how well how close they taste to each other see if the prototype does something to alter significantly the taste of the coffee. Well, that's the thing. That a blind test. Yeah, it takes <laughs> it takes about uh, five days to make it using the regular process. So I don't I don't really want to do that. I, I want to test it first. You know, if I'm going to have a leak or a blowout, I don't want to spend five days trying to figure that part out. So anyway, no. uh, it, it's it's all. I, I will take pictures and 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 the whole thing. And so if anybody out there is is radically insane and wants to replicate my steps. You can. Otherwise, I'm thinking I might just sell it. It's like, here's how you can make it yourself if you want to, but if you don't want to, send me a few bucks and I'll send you some. So I, I'm, I'm thinking go. about it. I, I don't, obviously don't expect that to be a lifelong career for me, but it might be a way to make a few bucks here and there, doing something I enjoy doing. There you go. It's like the home brew makers, the people who brew beer in their basement. You're just brewing coffee in your basement. Yeah. Yeah, and people don't want to take five days for coffee. No. You know, they just, <laughs> well, they might wait five days for it to come, but they're not going to take five days to make it. It's like bacon or corned beef or those things are super easy to make, but it takes uh, a five gallon bucket, a refrigerator, and 10 days. So it's not that, you know, anybody can go online and type corned beef recipe and make your own corned beef, but nobody does it. They go to the deli. And pay ten times as much for a pound of corned beef. So that's my thinking with the thing. I will open source the the knowledge. Here's how I do it, knowing that nobody's ever actually going to do it. There you go. Or at least no one, except for people as crazy as you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only people who listen to this show, frankly. Yeah, there um, you go. But yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> there's kind of no point with uh, with decaf. Uh, and Chris, uh, you suffered a loss this week, and I have, first I'll simply I say my condolences to you. Yeah, if if you're watching on the live stream, you'll see that my banner color is periwinkle, which is the color of esophageal cancer. Um, I lost a near near and dear friend um, like four days ago, five days ago, 
And so we've, we're, um, yeah, it, it's been a rough week. So if, if I'm not quite as chipper as I usually am, that's part of the reason. So, but I figured, you know, if you have anything going on with your throat, go check it out. If they would have caught it 30 days earlier, she would still be with us. So, you know, just take care of yourselves, people. I would hate to have somebody else go through this this horrible disease. And that's about all I want to say on it because it was rough. Yeah, cancer sucks every time it's tried. Um, we, You know, that's just all there is to it. It's a terrible disease. Fortunately, we're getting better at treating it. Someday we'll be able to prevent it, but uh, a certain all I can uh, I'm sorry is our hollow words, but uh, my condolences and uh, we I have lost family members to that that terrible disease myself. I know what you're going through, and uh, just know that uh, the entire community mourns with you. I well, I figured, and I will be sporting the periwinkle color for a couple more shows, just uh, as my tribute to her. And on to happier news, um, Ubuntu finally closed bug number one. Yes, um, huh. whenever Mark Shuttleworth first started Ubuntu, he created bug number one, which was Microsoft's dominant computing chair. And so he cited a couple of statistics. Uh, we covered that study a while back that showed that whenever you figure in tablets and smartphones, uh, Windows operating system has about 35% market share. Um, and, you know, of course, Android and iOS are running away with it on the smart devices. And so he said that, you know, really Microsoft's dominant position is really no longer a fact of life. So therefore, bug number one is closed. And it only took like nine years. So I wonder if that was like actually that. like a Bugzilla report that they that they closed and retired. Yes, no, that was, uh, and there were like over I think eighteen hundred comments um, on it on the history of it. Um, so yeah, and he put the last one in, and he called it closed. And I'm I'm looking for it, and um, I can't find the quote in the article that he talked about. But yeah, so. Yay, Ubuntu. Uh, you know, and that was kind of like the declaration of war from the Linux community. A lot of people rallied behind that back in the day. And, you know, people would say that Ubuntu might have lost the step, but they're at least partially responsible for, um, you know, making Linux and other OSs available to the public and in the public's mind. So, yay. <laughs> and as you already mentioned, a large part of that success is Android which is growing yep. even more uh, in the embedded systems. Linux is is going nuts. Yes. Um, year over year, Linux didn't gain a lot. It went from like 33 to 34% of the embedded market. And Android jumped from 13 to 16. So that's, and they, even though Annex is like a modified uh, Linux core um, kernel, they count them as separate OSs. So if you add Linux and Android together, you get like 50% of the embedded market. And so uh, that's pretty cool. You know, ARM processors are kind of rooting out Intel's uh, motherboard dominance as well. And, uh, you know, the link will be in the show notes and you can go there and they ask a bunch of different questions like, you know, are you using it? Do you plan to use it? What are some of the factors behind your using it? And, you know, homebrewed is a big uh, 
is a big factor where people just kind of do their own from kits. But there's several different flavor of Linux that make the survey. And then, of course, stock Android as well. So, yeah, 50% of the embedded market is, at you could say, a Linux or Linux derivative. If you, I know the Linux purists out there, they don't really like to claim Android has it's like the redheaded stepchild of the Linux community. Um, they like them because it's not Microsoft, but they don't like it because it's not pure Linux. Yeah, that was what I was gonna. That was gonna be my point. I, I'm calling minor BS on on this whole thing. You can't um, call well calling Android Linux or giving uh, Android uh, Linux credit for Android is like giving concrete credit for the Eiffel Tower. That just happens to be what it's built on. That's the foundation of it. Uh, Android is is really, it's Dalvik, which is a derivative of Java. So if you really want to give credit to anybody, it should be Java. But since we all hate Java, we'll go ahead and give credit to Linux. Linux is just what what the Java happens to run on. So, I, you know, I, I call minor BS on that. Well, yeah. But I mean, yeah, even, you know, even without it, it's still over a third of the market. Right. So by itself, that's that's not too bad. And small growth is better than no growth. And speaking so, of growth, yay. we already talked about the fact that the International Space Station is giving up on Windows and adopting Linux. Now, internally in NASA, uh, they're adopting Linux as well. Yeah, there was a couple of quotes from this article that I just wanted to read because I like them. Um uh, this is a somebody talking. They say, when you really need performance and weight has in the space program, who are you going to call? An OS designed by salesmen in secret and in league with hardware suppliers or an OS designed by computer geeks trying hard in the open to get the last bit of performance and rea- reliability out of hardware? Uh, somebody else wrote, indeed, while it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the advantage of advantages of linux i guess it doesn't hurt either and uh for those of us who have used linux know it is indeed safer and more reliable so yeah um it just it seems like i mean it just seems like all around that microsoft is just taking a black eye everywhere even even though their phone seems to be really good nobody wants to use it um but yeah so, yes, another win for Linux in the space program. And since eventually space will be home to more people than the planet, if Linux dominates space and can hold on to it, as more people go out there, you know, they'll win by default. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. And uh, another Android-based story, which really a Google story, uh, they say that their new phone, the Moto X, uh, will be... Uh, and these are important words, so I got. I want to get it right. Designed, engineered, and assembled in the United States, with parts made in China. Wow. Yeah. Well, because unfortunately, we gave up our making parts a long time ago, and we just simply wouldn't make. Well, although I don't know, as as much as Motorola has been selling lately, you might not take many parts to <laughs> make the demand, but. I mean, think about it. None of the smartphones out there can you can call made in America anything. So this one, granted, the components aren't necessarily American, but I mean, it's it's designed here, it's engineered here, it's assembled here um, in the United States. And I mean, how can you be a technology leader if you don't make any technology stuff? 
So, I mean, I know that, you know, the internet was birthed here and there's lots of super bright people. Um, but you know, they're like last year's, last generation's people. This year's, this generation's people are, you know, there's, there's nothing here in America, it seems. Everything's being built and developed someplace else. And eventually we'll just be leapfrogged and left in the dust. But Google is going to change that. So all of you, um, red, white, and blue flag wavers go out and buy the Moto X because it will be as much made in America as is possible in the industry today. Now, my uh, good old-fashioned pragmatism tells me that there will be a couple of dozen jobs created for this, and the rest of it will be robots. That's the only way you can afford to make a product in the U.S. anymore, is to have machines make it. You have a few engineers that keep the machines running, but the machines do all the work. Right, but at the same time, has wages and standard of living grow in other countries and the price of transportation whether it be oil or whatever continues to increase then you know the higher american standard wage becomes less of an obstacle yeah yeah and that's the ending that's the ending bullet there i think it'll be interesting to find out in a couple years when as gas and oil keep going up how many more things do come back to the united states for manufacturing um, maybe Detroit will rise again. We'll see. And while we're talking about Asian manufacturing, Apple has decided to distance itself at least a little bit from Foxconn. That's been a bit of an embarrassment to them over the last couple of years and going to give a company called Pagatron a little bit, a little of its iPhone business. You know, when I first read this article, it says Pegatron, but I saw the word Pentagon, and I was like, <laughs> Apple to give Pentagon a slice of its China pie, what does that mean? It sounds and like I Optimus Prime's, it. you know, uh, rival. I am Pegatron! <laughs> no, no. I am Pegatron. So, <laughs> oh, oh, racial invectives, not uh, the opinion of all Element OP staff or their associates oh come on (laughs) you know we're not politically correct here it's no fun to be politically correct but yeah so um i you know it's one of those foxconn is so huge it's not like apple could just say uh you're not going to make any of our stuff anymore but they seem to be spreading their eggs into other baskets at least well and that would be smart for them because you never know if if something's gonna you know you know the the whole idea you just brought up that that thought process there if why put all your thoughts in the or your hopes in the same basket you know um, maybe they're shopping around for a better buy too because everyone's out for the bottom dollar and if apple isn't out for it then uh who wouldn't be yeah i mean it's a great bargaining chip uh you're gonna lower our prices or you won't have any of our stuff of the next phone oh okay maybe we can work something out so you know it's an interesting uh situation that the the low cost mentality has created not just in this country, but globally, is um, you know Walmart uh, is a, a much vilified company here in the U.S. But but Apple and, and these everybody is guilty of the same thing. They they um, like Foxconn, for example. Apple let's I'm going to make up a number and say Apple makes up eighty percent of their business, so they can't afford to lose Apple now. They they're so invested in Apple. So Apple comes back and said we need you to produce the same thing, but at twenty five percent less cost. Uh, because our customers demand cheaper products. 
And then the next year they come back and say, oh, we need you to take another 15% off of that because our customers demand lower prices. Eventually, you've got this company that can't make money selling to Apple, but they can't afford to get rid of Apple because Apple is their only customer. And it's, you're, you, you eventually have this situation where the system crumbles in on itself. And, and well, that hasn't happened yet that I know of. But it just seems, you know, in the you can't always be an asymptote. You can't always be getting closer to zero without ever reaching it. At some point, the the critical mass builds up, and the company just can't sustain itself. and And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, and that's what happened really to the PC industry as a whole. People wanted cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, so you sacrificed uh, quality and support. You know, whereas Apple said, "No, this is what we're selling for," and um, you're going to buy it because we're Apple. And people said, oh, okay, Apple, yeah. we'll give you money. And so Apple maintained support and um, quality. And, you know, and customer service scores and grades from, a, you know, like the previous decade showed that people loved Apple support. And, you know, try to call HP or Dell and try to understand the Indian who says <laughs> double V, double V, double V dot Dell dot com on the phone. Uh I mean, that really happened to me on multiple occasions. So, you know, it's one of those things. You can only cut so much to the bone before you're cutting through the bone. And once you cut the bone, there's nothing left to support it. Yeah. And I think what's going to happen here, my prediction, uh, just this is Mark's baseless pontificating part of the show now, which is essentially all I do on the show. Um, I think that we're going to see a return to the artisan product. Just like we're seeing in other walks of life, uh, people who are into bicycling don't go and buy a bicycle at Walmart. They go to the local guy and they get the local experience. And and you know uh, we have the the we just, we mentioned it earlier the brew, uh, the beers and the coffees. People are returning to that artisan thing and they're willing to pay a premium price for it. So I think that's what's going to happen. The pendulum will swing back and price will not be the only. Uh, motivator anymore because because we start to realize that when we demand the price get lower we get something that costs very little and then we find out that we really want something that costs a little more uh, and we're willing to pay it so uh, that's just that's just kind of my um, guess as to the way the thing is going to happen it, it, you know like any like any pendulum it never swings all the way back so we'll never go all the way back to the premium prices that that uh, uh IBM and Apple and, and the companies in their heyday used to be able to demand, but I, I think we'll never also go all the way back down to selling um, a $1,000 device at a loss just to, to make the money. I think the the Xboxes and the, and the Amazon Kindles and those products that are well known for losing money, I, I think we're, those are going to start to go away and, and eventually we'll find a happy medium where we get a product that's actually worth having at a price we're willing to pay. That's what I think. Yeah, there'll be the cheap thing that lets you get your foot in the door, but then there'll be the quality thing that you actually like to use. I I don't. I think there will always be, pretty much from this point forward, that overlap. You know, where price won't be an entry point to the market. You know, or it won't cost you necessarily a lot of money to sit at the table, but to be able to do stuff well, it will. Oh, and the, the chat room Xbox, thinks I'm way off base on this. By the way, they're all they they think that that I'm dreaming, but I'm just I'm a student of history. I'm looking at the way things have gone in the past and and predicting the future based on it. So, um, oh I, lord, I if we'll the see. whole world is unionized, somebody shoot me first. <laughs> Sorry. 
Sorry, I just read that in the chat room. Yeah. But as you can tell, I'm not a strong union person, I guess. If you didn't yeah. know that about me, you do now. Yeah, you've got two Texans and a Montanan on the show. <laughs> Unions are not going to get much of a fair shake on this show. Uh, no. I'll, I'll well, send it for the unions, unions though. My, served their my dad's purpose, a union and then member. they abused that purpose, yeah. and they lost my support. Chris, you were saying? I'm going to say, well, I'll, I'll give the unions a little fair shake there. Uh, my dad's a union member, and uh, there's been a couple of times where it's because of the union he's kept his job. So not because of any fault to him, but because the company couldn't fire him because of poor right. performance on his coworkers. So... I'll I'll stand up for the unions. I like them. I think they're great. Anyway, right. continue there you guys' rants. That's, that's a that's a north south thing. It really is. The here in the south, we tend to be very anti union and up in the north they tend to be much more union and uh you know, that's just kind of the way uh, the way it comes down. Uh in well, Texas, kinda, for example, where where Seth and I are from, unions uh in many walks of life are illegal. Uh not in all of them. Like for example, I, I came out of education uh, union uh, Texas educators aren't allowed to unionize. It's, it's against the state constitution. Uh, so we, huh. we are we're we're taught that from very early on. Unions bad, uh, free labor good. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I know I look at it a lot like uh, food stamps and unemployment. I know there are lots of people out there who use that has oh my gosh i hit rock bottom that kind of catches me and helps me back up but i have seen i have seen the system so abused i watch people on food stamps pull out their iphones in the checkout line and i'm rocking my prepaid um smartphone from straight talk because that's all i can't afford because i don't want the government <laughs> to buy everything for me but again you know and it's, it's the same thing with the unions they serve a lot of purpose and i'm sure they do a lot of good but i have also seen the abuses by the unions and to think that the corporation is corrupt and the union is poor or, or the union is uh, pious and righteous is just being naive so Unions can be just as corrupt as corporations can be. So uh, there you go. There's my political rant for the day. And uh, while and we're on the subject on of big, while we're on the subject of big government, what happens when the U.S. government decides it's going to throw its hat into the ring in terms of uh, open data access? Tinfoil hat people go nuts. Yeah, I just. I don't know how to talk about this story because it's like the government is saying, we have all this information and we want to make it available to everybody. Uh, and how can we do that? And, um, it, it's, it's a scary thing, but at the same time, I know it's already public and people can already find it, but I'm just a private guy. And it's not that I go around, you know, killing old folks and stuff in my spare time. I just don't want anybody to know what I do in my spare time. Well, I think what this is going to happen, and essentially this is a uh, an openness, uh, uh, ex, uh, what's the word? Uh, project isn't the word. Initiative, an openness initiative uh, for the uh, the federal government, the U.S. federal government. They're saying we're gonna we're gonna make the information we have available, which is you know that's a good thing, right? You want your government to be open and the whole sunshine thing, uh, but at the same time, it's kind of scary how much information they have to share. Uh, and you yeah. know we we all know that we give information away uh and you know the in the case of a government entity uh, whatever government it is they're sort of unique in their ability to demand information from you you have no choice in the in the US for example the census guy comes to your door it's it's against 
constitutional law for you to turn that guy away. You have to give the guy information. Uh, there aren't many entities that can compel information from you the way the government can. And when the government says, we're going to make the information we have available to everybody, there's reason to be a little bit concerned about that. Oh, definitely. But it's still, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to look at that and go, huh, what does the government know about this? And actually be able to open up and find that information. So it's a double-edged sword. It's just like unions we were just talking about. It could be a good thing, but if it's abused, it's a bad thing. So there we go. Yeah, it's, it's, like I said, it's good to know what the government knows, but it's also scary to know what the government knows. Um, and, you know, that's, yeah. that's an American point of view. Largely Americans uh, trust business, uh, distrust government, and most European countries distrust business and trust government. Uh, you know, it's just the way our societies have grown up. So we tend to, to be distrustful of the government, and when we find that they know things about us that we might willingly let Google, for example, know, we tend to get a little nuts about it. Yeah, the tinfoil hats among us certainly do. Yeah, my tinfoil visor just kind of fell off a little. I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Remember the Vivaldi tablet? No, nobody does. But it's almost no. back kind of again, sort of. Yeah, I wish they would just hurry up and release the thing so you could see what it's like. Um, I think it's kind of... I like the idea of a totally open hardware software platform, but, um, you know, not if it's going to cost three times as much as a Google Nexus. So, uh, yeah, it's every few months they come out and say, Hey, we've almost finalized the specs and they're about ready to go to market. And then another few months later, Hey, we've almost finalized the specs and they're about ready to go. And they just basically put out another announcement. Um, I don't know, a few days ago, earlier this week, uh, says they're just waiting on just a couple of drivers and tweaking like some rough edges off some of the hardware but most everything is ready to go and i mean it looks really cool and i would really like to have one but again i don't know if if it's going to cost so much money that you know it's only going to be the the purest people that would love them but if they can compete with the uh you know with the nexuses or whatever of the world then i'm all for it and uh, in case you don't remember, the Vivaldi tablet is a pure Linux tablet um, running actual X11, you know, uh, code. It's it's not a it's not Android. It's not anything else. It's it's a it's a tablet that runs plain old desktop Linux. Obviously, it's got to be hacked a little bit to work in the the uh, tablet form factor. And they're running into the classic it's, problems that everybody runs into. You've got you've got the the whole power versus heat thing. You've got the whole uh, capability versus battery life, uh, and then the fact that X11 was written a billion years ago. Uh, so there's there's a lot of issues that they keep running into, but they keep promising the Vivaldi tablets, uh, and they're doing it again. Yeah, the, yes. it's it, technically what it's running on is the KDE Plasma Active desktop so um it is a tried and trusted system for at least display for the display manager or your desktop environment we'll see how if it actually comes to come to markets near you and and yeah and you know it'll be one of those things where the community will probably the first thing they'll probably do is hack it and put all other kinds of stuff on it too but (laughs) should be able to do that well, that's right. It's sort of designed with hackers in mind. It's it's by hack for by the hackers for the hackers and of the hackers, um, 
uh, and since our audience loves it so much when we talk about phones, you may have heard of the Fairphone. I, nope. I hadn't. The Fairphone is an Android-based phone with two different types of SIM cards, so you can run it on any network. Um, and the idea is it's going to be fair, sort of. Yeah, hmm. fair trade and conflict-free materials. So kind of like what the Vivaldi is to tablets, the Fairphone is to smartphones. Um, you know, it's not going to, you know, like no slave labor, no war-torn countries kind of thing doing it. But, you know, $420 for a top-of-the-line smartphone is, I mean, that's pretty average, I guess, because, you know, most of the things you get with your contracts are subsidized by the carrier. but. I think uh, I think 420 doesn't seem overly expensive. I mean, it's out of what I'm going to pay, yeah. but you well, know, if you want to get a Galaxy S4, you're going to pay nearly 800 bucks for it if you want it unlocked. And so this is really? an unlocked um, uh, carrier agnostic phone uh, running Android 4.2 with a quad core processor, uh, a 960 by 540 capacitive touchscreen, uh, and they're going to do all. Man, they're they're saying they're going to manage it all for. Uh, about four hundred and twenty dollars U.S. Um, if they reasonable. can get enough pre-orders, they need right. to do five thousand before production can start. And as of this story, they only have thirty-five hundred sold. So it's kind of like um, a Kickstarter project, but they're not doing it on Kickstarter. Right. So it's still a really cool idea. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they actually make their five thousand quota. The trouble is going to be convincing people to pre-order vaporware you know it doesn't exist yet um and you know people particularly electronics nerds uh are more willing to ha uh, to pre-order something from a company they know from from uh you know motorola or or samsung but to pre-order from a company that just sort of popped up that's never actually made a product and they won't actually make it unless you already pre-order it i think you're asking for a lot right there but it'll be interesting well they're up to 4,303. I'm just looking at their website now, fairphone.com. 4,303 phones sold, 11 days left. So they've only got to sell 700 phones over the next 11 days to meet their goal. I'll be honest with I mean, you. If I were in the market for a new phone, I'd probably do that. That's a good price for the specs that they promise is good, uh, promise us. But, you know, who's going to man Who's going to service it? Who's going to warranty it? Um, what what if I don't it's like it? Probably all on you. You know, can I take it back if I don't like it? Is that what's their refund policy? So there's lots of questions to be answered there, and I think really those forty three hundred people are just uh, speculators who happen to have five hundred bucks left to spare. I'm not one of those. Uh, mm -hmm. But by the time this show comes out, there'll be about a week left. Uh, if you want to, you know, get a truly fair phone, and again. Um, no uh, uh, carrier, uh, it's carrier agnostic, You uh, no um, unfair trading practices, no, um, um, uh, diff what's, what am I looking for? No non-sustainable source products. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be, it's the hipster yuppie phone. I mean, it's the, the hippie phone. It's, it's, it's exactly everything that people say they want uh, in, in their devices uh, and you can actually afford it. Well, but here's a yeah. sad kicker, though, about this is it's a Europe-only phone. Um, I, when I was looking over at their website, I, I there's a on their FAQ it says if where are Fairphones sold? If I live outside of Europe, can I buy one? 
And it says, currently, Fairphones are only shipped to addresses in Europe. So it's a Europe-only thing. So all your all the Europe people that are listening to this, if you want to see this happen to more, you guys need to step up and pre-order. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I think Amer- the Americans would want a phone like that. Uh, yep. But I'm, I'm guessing the company doesn't want to deal with export regulations. They're probably a, a European-based company in the EU, I'm guessing, and they don't want to deal yep. with, with ex- export because then you've got security concerns. you got to deal with, with all kinds of people. Uh, so I can see why they would choose not to. But if, well, somebody, if a, listener, more... you know, a listener in uh, England, for example, could I could have them buy me the phone if I trusted them, and they could drop it in an envelope and ship it to me. Uh, so there are ways to get this phone. They just won't ship it to the U.S. Right. So I figured I'd put that out there because yeah. you know good, it would good hate catch. for the Element OPR the Element OP Army to go out there and uh, you know try to order this and get tagged because they're they're not you in the EU. Apple, tired of losing ground to Android, and they are losing ground to Android, thinks that maybe more APIs are the answer. Oh, that's not a bad yeah. idea. Uh, yeah, Tim Cook, he stated in a recent interview that Apple plans to open up more of their iOS APIs to third parties. And he went on to say, um, and apparently he brought it up, he wasn't prompted, but Apple may make Android applications in the future and not just something like their iCloud, but um, actually specific Android applications. And I don't really know what they would do other than try to port Safari because we all know how much the world loves the Safari browser. Uh, <laughs> well, they could, they, could, they could port Apple Mail. They could port uh, their uh, uh, iMovie, their phone-based iMovie. There are lots of things that, that people, uh, Android users would want. Yeah. yeah. Um, would they? I mean, because most, well, I don't know. You know, there's there's the there's the Android fanboys that hate Apple, and then of course there's the Apple fanboys that hate Android, and everybody else just gets whatever the newest phone is when they renew their contract. Um, I think that's so most of the world. I think the fanboys are a small percentage, and most people just get whatever the best phone is at the time. So when Apple has the best phone, and they have several times throughout the course of the smartphone uh, history. Uh, have had the best phone. Everybody buys iPhones, but then because they're slow to iterate, uh, Android, uh, you know, Samsung and HTC, Motorola step up. They have the best phone. People buy that, and I think Apple is hoping that by making cross-platform phone uh, apps, they can keep people in the Apple ecosystem a little more, and maybe even draw in some of those, you know, Samsung users uh, at the same time. That that's me trying to guess what Tim Cook is thinking. Yeah, because you have to be careful because the other thing can happen as well. It's like, you know, I kind of like these Apple things, but I don't want to be an Apple product. So now that they've done this, I'm going to give my money to some other company. So, All right, and I think I'm going to do one more phone store. We've got like four of them in the notes here. Um, and I think the one that interests me the most is the fact that the Galaxy S4 has already been hacked. And in fact, this story is a week old. It was in the notes last week, and we didn't do it. So uh, Samsung's newest phone uh, has already been rooted and jailbroken and ready to go. Go figure. It didn't take long. It, it never takes long. Yeah. Um, I think that's it then. The, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I hadn't read this story uh, since last week. But yeah, apparently... 
it was it didn't even they didn't even have to go all crypto on it it was um there's a bootloader was actually kind of at the bootloader was written in such a way that it asked the phone where to look in the memory so you can kind of apparently not for me because i really can't hack like this but you can <laughs> apparently hack it to tell the boat the bootloader where to look and then place something there and tell it what to do so it's not like a it's like one of those, you know, you have this awesome high tech security system with lasers and an electrified floor and all this kind of stuff. But the very last thing you forgot to lock the door and hit arm right. is kind of what happened here. So, so essentially, HTC makes the phone uh, free and unencumbered and rootable and ready to go. AT&T and Verizon grab it and and there is a essentially the phone version of UEFI on it, a secure bootloader. Um, that locks it down, but uh, um, the hackers have found that their implementation of it is weak and that you can easily get to the original open state as Samsung designed it. So it's not that Samsung is being subversive, it's that AT&T and Verizon, surprise, surprise, aren't very good coders. <laughs> uh, okay, and I think that wraps up uh, Phone Weekly. <laughs> here, yeah, no kidding. Here on the Everyday Linux show. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about, though, is uh, our good friends over at Linux Academy have uh, are becoming a perennial sponsor. We're glad to have them. And uh, if you're tired of talking about phones and want to talk about Linux, hey, let's go all the way and talk about Linux server administration. And the way you can, really? Uh, what else can we do there? <laughs> There's all kinds of things you can do. Thank you for asking, Chris. Um, at Linux Academy, you've got all kinds of step-by-step video cor- courses uh, designed for beginners, uh, but certainly with information that the intermediate and even advanced user uh, could learn from. Uh, there are uh, hundreds of videos uh, being added uh, to all the time uh, with the features. Uh, one of their newest things is... Um, Amazon uh, Cloud Services. It'll teach you how to work uh, the Amazon Web Services, uh, and it's it's uh, for the command line godfather among us. Uh, they're very command line centric. Uh, most of their stuff takes place in the terminal, which is kind of cool uh, if you're into that. Uh, but it's it's designed to teach you everything you need to know about everything you need to know, um, and the, all of this for. The low, low price of only 19 bucks a month. Uh, but if you want to sign up for three months in a row, uh, you can basically buy to get one free. So $38 for a quarter gives you access to hundreds of, well, not hundreds, over a hundred uh, training videos, uh, PDF downloads. All the videos are high def and mobile compatible so that you can uh, watch them on your big screen uh, at 1080p or you can watch them on your tiny screen while you're at the gym. Uh, either way. Uh, and uh, I was going to go through here uh, the course outlines, some of the things that they want to, that they have available. I, I just looked at this recently, and it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, you can get into, uh, uh, there's courses on uh, the, what the root user is. How do you sudo? How do you manage users and groups? How do you navigate the Linux file systems? There's videos on apt-get and DP, DK, DPKG package manage, management. There's videos on file permissions and cron jobs and manage, managing Linux processes. There's uh, uh, videos on how to use Amazon SC, S3 
3, how to use Amazon EC2, how to create an Amazon EC2 image, installing Drupal in a LAMP stack on Amazon EC2, file naming basics wow. and a look at file commands, file archiving using the RM and MV commands, Linux links, special permission bits, basic directory and group command, default permissions, umask, new group, and chatter, Linux core directories, and what are they used for? How do you create a Linux disk volume? Uh, configuring SSH port numbers, configuring SSH keys from OSX to Linux, uh, allowing and denying user groups. Vi, there's things on Vi, the Linux, the Linux text editor. There's simple bash scripting from environment variables, redirection and operation and data pipes, manipulating files, RPM package management, yum package management. The list goes on and on. All that for 19 bucks a month downloadable if you want it you don't want to, to uh, use their service your bandwidth sucks you're in the uh, the uk where you pay a metered bandwidth not a problem they will send you a dvd with up to eight different uh, vms already pre-configured on them so that you can load up do what you need to do all right there on your machine using a, a dvd or a usb stick uh, and never have to connect online all this awesomeness for only 19 bucks a month. But if you're not sure you want to do it, but wait, there's more, as the Ginsu Knife people say. Your first week is free. Sign up. You don't like it in seven days. Cancel it. You never pay a thing. All this from linuxacademy.com. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we didn't cover like Linux jobs in the news section this week, but, um, you know, we have recently... And there's a big market out there and has Linux expands, especially in the back room and, uh, in, on the big iron, then it, there's just, there's going to be more of a market. So you can make yourself more marketable and increase your pay. Or if you're wanting to break into IT, you know, anybody can be a gooey kid like me. You just got to be able to read and click buttons. Um, but you know, you can become the, uh, the command line godfather in training or something with this topic which is that's what i'm trying to do and uh, our thanks yeah. to anthony over at linux academy they he's decided he's going to be a weekly sponsor of everyday linux so uh, you'll be hearing about them every week uh and not just because he pays it pays us so, so of course that's part of it but we only take sponsors we only take uh stuff that we believe in and as you know uh we had anthony uh, on the show for a topic long before he was a sponsor because we're interested in it and because we believe in the product so we're going to come to you week after week and i'm going to tell you this stuff not because they're paying me yes they are paying me but we're doing it because a we believe in it and B, they wrote a check. It goes that way. First, we have to believe in the product. Then B, they have to pay us for it. So we're happy to have them as uh, weekly sponsors. And uh, we hope you'll do them a solid and go check them out. As I was uh, telling somebody recently, uh, you know, you may not be interested in the Linux Academy today. You may not be interested in, in a month. But two months from now, five years from now, you may be starting a new job and suddenly you need new skills. You're going to remember that you heard about the Linux Academy here. So that's the point of us bringing it to you every week. Not so that you can go sign up every week, but so that you remember it and you, and you know that it's out there. So we're excited that there is a resource like the Linux Academy out there. If you'll remember uh, on the, uh, when they were on the show, we encouraged them to raise their prices because we wanted them to, keep, to stay around. We were afraid at the prices they were charging, they wouldn't be sustainable. So we believe in this company, this, uh, this idea, and they happened to pay us a few bucks. So, you know, just so you know, I, I'm a capitalist at heart, but I'm not going to put anything on this show that I don't believe in. 
and we think Linux uh, Academy and Anthony are doing a great job, and we look forward to uh, talking about them every week. So there you go. Yeah. Not only an advertiser, but I'm a customer as well. That's right. So. <laughs> and you're learning lots, aren't you, Seth? Yes. <laughs> the, the guys at the chat room are going, breathe, Mark. Breathe. Yeah, I, I, got, I went a little Ginzu knife on us there. Now, how much would you pay? But wait. Uh, we also get the uh, tin can that you can saw in half that we used in this commercial at no additional charge. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I just went to the I went to linuxacademy.com, clicked the course overview, and read a third, less than a third of the courses they have available there. It's it's amazing. Go check it out for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Sign up again. First seven days is free. Uh, you can try it out for a month for twenty bucks. There's no renewal necessary. Uh, it's a month to month thing. No contract. So there you go. <laughs> yep. And uh, Wise One says, just pay separate shipping and handling. As far as I know, there's not even any shipping and handling available. Necessary. <laughs> and now on to our listener feedback. Uh, Mike asks a follow-up question. Mike, first off, let me apologize. Uh, this was in the show notes last week. I skipped it accidentally. Um, and so I wanted to give you top billing uh, this week. Uh, and he says, thank you again for discussing my email on this week's show, which was a couple of weeks ago. You recommended free NAS. However, NAS for free is a fork, not sure I'm using the term correctly, from free NAS 7, I think. Would this change your mind or would you stick with free NAS? What exactly would be the difference between the two? Thank you again for your quick response to my email. So I went and checked out NAS for free. Turns out it's not a fork. It's just a renaming. Um, a private company bought the name free nas but the code has always been open source so the developer of the code changed the name of it created the nas for free product it's still the same guy still the same team of people just now it's a new name uh, because the other company that bought the name didn't they weren't interested in uh the product necessarily they probably just wanted to release a product called FreeNAS. I don't know that story. So when I say I like FreeNAS and you say, how about NAS for free? They're exactly the same thing. It's not a fork. Nobody got uh, in a fight. Nobody took their dolly and went home. It's the exact same team, the exact same code base, just a new name and a new website. So yes, I highly endorse NAS for free because I really liked FreeNAS. And actually, the NAS for free might be a little bit better because they actually are currently developing that one. Right. The free NAS may not be. Yeah, and I think you can still get free NAS. I think if you go to that, if you Google that, you'll find it probably at SourceForge or whatever, and it's out there. It's just not being developed. It's NAS for free. That's the exact same code base being developed. So go there, check that one out. And then Guillaume uh, writes in offering a tip. He says, hello, Everyday Linux crew. Nice show today. Uh, Chris, a tip to find your uh, Chris's tip to find your info, uh, hardware information was really good. However, instead of using it like Chris does, here's what I generally do: sudo ls hardware lshw html um, greater than side hardware.html. As you have guessed, uh, this produces an HTML file that's a bit easier to read than a plain text file. So this was Chris's command line tip from last week, maybe two weeks ago now. Um, and there's a, a hash tag to it that uh, not a hashtag uh, a command line uh it's not twitter that'll uh, spit things out in an html file instead of uh, plain text uh it says there's another great program that does basically the same thing that i like better it's called hard info and it has a gui to make seth happy uh, 
However, what I do and what Chris <laughs> should prefer uh, to is to type the command in the terminal. sudo hardinfo-f HTML uh, will produce an even better formatted HTML file with everything you could care to know. Uh, regards, Guillaume. Then he says, uh, PS for Chris, Dodo Linux is a distro for kids. We He mentioned that and we didn't know what it was, so he's following up on that. Thanks, Guillaume. Appreciate you... Uh, being out there any comments on that guys no no um i did take a look at hard info and yeah the the export's a lot nicer and the reason i don't use html is because a lot of times i'm in a ssh terminal to a server and you really can't read html over ssh easily but a plain text file is simple to look at in a terminal session so different sauce for different sandwiches i guess um, that would work if you're local and could pop that open into a Firefox browser or, but I like my way because I'm always not on the machine that I'm doing that particular, um, command at different sauce for different sandwiches. I think that just became the title of the show. I've never heard that before. That's awesome. Different sauce <laughs> for different sandwiches. Really? That, I, yeah. I use that all the time. It must be a Montana thing. I've never heard of it. It must be. That's awesome. Um, Frank sends us an email chiming in about one of my favorite tools in the world. He says, hi, Mark. I just listened to the number 84 episode of Everyday Linux. Um, so you're a few weeks back there, uh, Frank. And Backup PC is already running on my Debian box. It took one minute to install and one minute for me to be in the web interface and two minutes running total. Uh, looking forward to try to back something up with it. Uh, and so, yeah. Backup PC episode eighty four is called the best backup tool ever. It's where I I spent an hour espousing the virtues of backup PC. It really is the best enterprise backup tool ever. There's never been one that even comes close, uh, and it happens to be open source and free. So wow. And then he says yeah. for some feedback, Everyday Linux is a great show. Uh, thanks a lot. I'm very happy to hear the shows and keep up the good work. Well, we're glad to have you out there, Frank. Thanks for being a listener. You guys aren't giving me a break tonight. Usually, this is the well, part where the, you the, chatter. There's not much to to cancel with that. I mean, it, it, it's <laughs> it, I, the only thing I could say is backup PC. I had a buddy of mine. He just what Thursday asked me what you know. He just took a job for an educational place and needs the thing to needs something to back up hardware on. And I'm like, uh, go listen to EDL number eighty four, and your problems will be solved. Yeah. And he went. Oh, okay, yeah, I can do that. I used to listen, but I job changed and didn't have time, but now I have time, and yeah, I'll go listen to that. That sounds great. Thanks. And yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't gotten back to me yet, but I'm sure I'll hear if he likes it or not within probably the next week or so. I'm sure he will. Yeah, and also, um, you know, for those people out there whose bosses won't do anything free because it doesn't cost money, feel free to tell <laughs> them it costs however much and just send that over to Element OP there and we'll be go. happy to provide you some support on it. So Yeah, hit the tip jar with your enterprise. If, if they th say that they're not interested because it doesn't cost $12,000, you can throw that right into the, the Element OP tip jar if you want. Uh, I've... Seth, I know you've had that experience, and I have. It's like, it can't be any good. It doesn't cost anything. All right. Turns out I found a version that's exactly the same thing, but it cost eight grand. Oh, sure. I'm in for that. Great. Sign us up. And then what you can do is split it. Yeah. We get half and send the other half to back that's up right. PC. 
Finders yeah, fee. That's even better. Yeah. We'll donate to the project and then we'll go out and buy new hats or something. I don't know. Uh, the next email, Berend, I'm guessing that's how the name is pronounced. Obviously a non-native English speaker, uh, asks a question of the audience. So I thought I would forward that question on. He says, hi, I've installed Ubuntu home server. Is there, are there any books to learn Ubuntu home server? Uh, and what I, I want to stream my Ubuntu home server to my Xbox 360 for movies, etc. I have installed Webmin and Samba and, uh, copy D and, uh, and excuse me, and copied all my movies and programs, etc. onto the Ubuntu home server. Uh, so, I went out and did some searching because I'm not aware of any books. I'm not, I don't really look to books. I look to Google when I need help. Uh, there were a couple of things on O'Reilly Press, but they're uh, older. I didn't see anything uh, in the last three or four years on O'Reilly. So I thought I would put that to, to you guys on the show and also to the audience at large out there. Uh, do you have any book recommendations for Baron to help with uh, Ubuntu home server? Guys, any thoughts? I know there is uh, an Ubuntu magazine that comes out. I don't remember if it's monthly or quarterly that you could subscribe to. And it is really cool. Um, I flip through it whenever I'm going to uh, the different techie and bookstore places that I haunt. And it has how-to articles and things like that. And it sounds exactly like what you're looking for. I just, uh, I can't, I'm blanking on the name right now. I, I knew it like an hour ago, but, um, so yes, there are printed resources that, um, you know, and it's kind of cool because in addition to the printed resources, you know, it's advertisers who are advertising for Ubuntu or, you know, who are advertising to people in the Linux community. So you get a little bit more targeted and better stuff, but yes, there are things like that out there. Chris, do you know of anything? No, off the top of my head, I don't. I'm racking my brain trying to figure out. It, I, you know, there. I remember something coming out from the Ubuntu Playful, and it was a PDF manual for. But I don't know if it was for just Ubuntu or if it was for Ubuntu Home Server. So uh, I'm sure it's still out there. I'm, I'm probably sure it's out of date by now. But that would be something to look up too. Um, Ubuntu everything PDF or something like that. I don't remember off the top of my head though. Ubuntu right. user is the name of the magazine and you can do okay. a print subscription or a digital subscription. They also released a, a manual or a handbook too at once, if I remember right, because it was something like that. Ubuntu user presents blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember okay. what the blah, blah, blah is. So we leave that as an exercise for the audience. Send us an email, edl, edl at elementop.com or use the contact us button at the top of the page at elementop.com and let us know. If you've got some printed resources for Berend, uh, let us know what they are. Um, and uh, next, listener feedback, our, our old friend Boston Peng speaks up about episode 95 a couple of weeks back. He says, regarding Wise One's Challenge, uh, why do I see a variation on the end of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back coming? I haven't seen the movie. <laughs> don't know what he's talking about. Um, has Chris gotten a movie check lately? Look out, wise one. It's not nice to mess with the Godfather. Um, and then he comments on the fact that I said you can't say y'all if you're from Boston. He says, no y'all from folks from Boston? Well, I'm born and bred New Orleanian, although not quite a yet, 
I don't know what that means. Uh, you can take a guy out of the South, but you'll never take the South out of the guy. Besides, I only live here now. And it's funny, someone from Texas is fussing about the Southern thing since we all know you've got the, uh, you've got the South and then you've got Texas. Texas is its own thing, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> It's funny because I, I, I moved to Georgia now, and I hear that all the time. Well, things are different in the South. In the South, I moved north to get here. What do you mean things are different in the South? And I hear that all the time. Texas isn't the South. Texas is Texas. Um, okay, I can live with that. Uh, and then he goes on to say, sorry, Mark, but you brought on all the bacon love yourself. You had us spoiled with bacon comments in the past, and more coming in three to five weeks. I'm looking forward to it. And then at the command line, Godfather, you're out of everyday command line tips. Please bring us the super advanced command line tips. I'm looking forward to learning them. So that's uh, Boston Peng's feedback there about the show. I, he always uh, bulletizes everything as he's listening to the show. I picture him listening to the show and typing and like rewinding and typing. That's just the vision I have of him. Yeah, he's pretty thorough about everything whenever he uh, sends a reply. So either he rewinds or he re-listens all the time. Yeah, he might just have a really good memory. Uh, could be. It could be. Smart people listen to our show. Um, Definitely. And our last bit of listener feedback comes from Jow, who wants your money to go to open source. He says, hello, my name is Jow. I've been listening to your show for the better part of a year, and for hours and upon hours of mostly Linux-related content, I thank you. <laughs> Wait a minute, mostly Linux-related? What show is he listening to? <laughs> He's being generous. Um, anyway, a couple of days ago, the Internet's Brian Lunduke theorized that contributions or donations to open-source projects could benefit from what is essentially a link dump pointing directly to donation pages. I figured I could give it a shot, seeing as I don't feel like I have given back to the open source community in any meaningful way since I started using FOSS products. So he's created a website called FOSSDonations.org, and it's just a list of as many open source projects as he could come up with out there. Um, go there, pick a project you like, give him some money. That's all there is to it. He says, please excuse the less than stellar web design. Uh, and then an oh, oh, a quick question. Has Chris ever played around with tiling window managers? Awesome window manager, Xmonad, etc. Awesome window manager looks amazing running multiple terminal sessions across several monitors. And I figured the command line godfather would appreciate that. No, I haven't played with awesome window manager or any of the other tiling window managers that he's talked about. Um, but I can definitely put them in the uh, things to try bucket and we'll get to them when I can get to them. Uh, I'm familiar with Awesome Window Manager uh, as I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's the 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 Mac clone, the Mac OS clone. They used Awesome Window Manager to create that. I can't remember what it was called, but it was essentially uh, the Mac OS recreated on Linux, and Awesome Window Manager was what they used to do it, largely because of its flexibility. I wish I could remember the name of that project. Didn't it uh, start with an E? I don't remember. Well, I know there's the Enlightenment project, and that's one that I've yeah. always been. That, that's all one I've been always wanting to try, and I've never actually done it yet. So that might be on the short list too. <laughs> so Chris is just stacking up his monthly uh, uh, assignments left and right. I, I, I don't know if they're all going to be monthly uh, attempts, but they'll, they'll <laughs> definitely be something I, I peruse through and look through. 
Awesome. Uh, and that's it for listener feedback for this week. I've got more in the hopper uh, waiting to uh, be uh, read next week. So uh, look forward to that and keep them coming. Uh, I love the fact that the listener feedback portion of the show is A, become an every week thing, and B, becoming a large chunk of the show. I like both of those things. Keep them coming. Your questions, your comments, your rude remarks, we will take them all. And now, without further ado, after a full 30 day, actually it's like 27 days, of uh, Gnome Shell exclusively, Chris has these words. Ah. <sighs> Is that enough? Can we go home now? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I really tried this time to, instead of being a bash session on Gnome, is I thought I'd go through and highlight some of the things that I liked about Gnome Shell because I still don't like it. Um, it has grown on me a little bit better, but it, it's still not as fast as I would like it to be. But there are some things that I did like when I was playing with it. Um, I do like some of the graphics, the the transitions from now on that they have. So, like, when you go from your lock screen into your desktop, uh, that screen is really nice. I, uh, I think it's a really interesting way of doing a lock screen. Uh, it's definitely a tablet interface type thing where it does scroll. You have to pull the thing up in order to get to your login. Uh, it's kind of nice looking, and it, it's definitely a lot better than any of the other uh, window managers for as far as your lock screen goes. Um, once I got used to the GNOME 3, I don't know what they call that when you hit the Windows key and you can start typing in to get to your programs. Crap. I don't remember what they call <laughs> if, if they call that lenses or uh, what that's particularly called. But I really start. I started to getting used to it because normally when I go to launch programs, it's an Alt F2. That's uh, just. I've always used that to launch a program. So if I'm going to Firefox or Google Chrome or whatever, it's Alt F2, type it in, and boom, it's done. So it, it just shortcutted my my own tip, basically. Instead of using Alt F2, it was just window key to get to that search screen. Um, it, it did come in handy. Uh, once I started getting used to how the windows, instead of being in a cubic form and it was straight down, uh, that was kind of nice to get used to. It, it did make organizing my applications that I have running at all times cumbersome because I can't say whenever Firefox opens up, it goes on it goes on desktop one because there technically is no desktop one because it's all dynamic. So you only have enough desktops for the applications you have open. Not really a bad thing, but just kind of an inter- it, What You had to get your head around it again. Um the lenses that they give you when you go when you're under applications are really well thought out. Um, it, it's kind of a nice that they default you to the all screen so that way you can just scroll through everything. Um, and I found that no matter what happened, if I was looking for an, an internet-based program, it was under the internet lens. I didn't get lost trying to find what lens I needed to be in to find the application. Um, I do still have a problem with the tight v- the Tiger VNC client. Uh, I was trying to use it at work, and about every third connection would crash. And that also happens with pretty much any of the other desktop remote desktop programs that I was playing with. But they do function really well, and they integrate well with the system. So as long as you're using anything but Tiger, you're doing all right. 
Uh, they do have this program that I haven't played with yet that I did do a little investigating on called Boxes. It's kind of a virtualizing desktop system built into the GNOME shell. So like a few other things that GNOME has gobbled up in their um, incentive or w- that they've built GNOME shell around, like the desktop recording is built into GNOME shell. You don't have to install a third-party program or the GTK record my desktop. That's built in now. So this is another... Uh, virtualizing control system that's built into GNOME Shell. So that's kind of a nice thing, too. Um, I still don't like the fact that they use Empathy as their uh, instant messenger client of choice. I've been a Pigeon fan for many, many years, and it's really hard to get used to something else being my default instant messenger client. Uh, Luckily, though, with a couple of installed GNOME tweak packages, you can then Get Pigeon to be the default um, instant message client. Uh, the integration between Google Calendar and the calendar and time but or the uh, clock at the top of the the panel works great. So you feed it your Google credentials and all your Google calendars events and documents show up in the panels when you do searches. That's really handy and really neat. Um, I've used it actually. I was using it yesterday when I was typing, when I was getting ready to do some notes in the show notes before I got interrupted and had to leave um, for obvious reasons this week. Uh, it, it did come in handy. I, I don't know if it's going to be le- be current as my de- my desktop of choice, but I did find myself not having so many pains this week for for moving to it. Um, and this was the GNOME 3.6, so I'm sure when they when Fedora comes down and, and pumps out the next uh, desktop release, I think it's what 3.8 is the newest one. Uh, I I thought about installing GNOME 3.8 um, out of the the testing repositories, but I figured I would wait until it was released, full release to Fedora before I did that. Uh, so this is the 3.6 version, and I was really impressed with it. Uh, it's like I said, I don't know if it's going to stay my default system, but it's definitely come a long way since the last couple of times I've played with it. Wow, that wasn't all vile and vile and vitriol. I'm, I'm impressed. There were, you actually had some good things to say. Well, I tried. Where you go, Chris? You know, there's like, I had a, I had a couple people catch me in the chat room or or by email, direct email to me that said, you know, if you're going to do this gnome thing, try not to be a bash session on it so i'm trying not to be i don't think it's fully baked still it's getting closer uh, maybe another six months maybe when um 3.8 comes out or when they hit 3.10 it might be it, it might be a 10 times better but i've noticed that every release that they've had the speed of gnome shell has improved which is one of my biggest complaints and that's the really big complaint i have about unity um, I would say the distance between GNOME Shell and Unity has gotten bigger. Um, there is, while there are similarities, there are enough differences to keep um, the GNOME Shell people happy and the Unity people in their little corner, you know, in the insane asylum. You know, I, I it's the catch twenty two of designing any open source product. You've got to get it out there. You've got to get people using it before you can really fine tune it. You know, the, yeah. the you need beta testers. You need a world of people uh, using the thing and testing it and banging on it, and then you can you can really make it what it needs to be. 
But in order to do that, you have to release something that's not finished yet. So it's it's the the double-edged sword there. It's going to get better. It's going to iterate. But in order to make that promise, to say it's going to get better, it means you have to release something that has to get better. So it's, you know, it, it frustrates me about open source projects that, that they are often so unready for release when they're released. But at the same time, because they don't have a whole team of, you know, a whole software development department like Microsoft or Apple would have, they have to do that. So it, it frustrates me as a user, but I understand it from the standpoint of a, of a developer. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in their defense, I hope this sticks around for a while because I think as long as they keep killing bugs and getting that speed up to where it used to be in GNOME 2, once they get to that, that speed level of GNOME 2, I think everybody's issue with GNOME Shell is going to go away. Um, everybody that I've talked to that hates GNOME Shell, that's their biggest hate is it's slow. And it's, it's pro- and at least in my, on my hardware, it's proven that the faster, um, the, the, Every release has gotten fat has gotten faster, so once they get that speed level up to GNOME two, I think it'll be better, and I think there won't be so much hate. Um, yeah, I, I just wish that it would get fast. You know that they would be faster at getting it faster. <laughs> yeah, and but, looking forward to things like Wayland that are going to be major changes that I know are just going to suck for like four years. Uh, I don't look forward to that as a user at all. But I also understand that there's no way we're going to get to the next stable development platform unless we go through those growing pains first. Yeah. And that's what this is. Uh, I just hope that after they hit whatever version they're going to, you know, three point whatever, that they don't do such a massive redesign again. You know, maybe do some gen- some slower changes to slowly get people to change over to this other system instead of the gi- the ginormous chop the arm off because they're doing yeah. something different. Yeah, I think sometimes developers uh, rev for the sake of revving. You know, it's been eight months since we increased that number from three to four. We better go ahead and do that. Um, and, you know, again, well, oftentimes my complaints come from an end user. I, I'm, I'm sort of Tron on this show. I fight for the users. Uh, I the, That's my role here. I, I speak for the for the end user, and we get frustrated with stuff like that. It doesn't mean that as, a, as somebody who has written code and as somebody who's developed systems, I don't uh, um, understand it, but as an end user, I don't like it. Uh, and Jim Beeson in, in the chat room says, like Firefox, who was at, went from like six years to go from version three to version four, and then within the next six months, they were at version 27. It's, ah, you know, it's Tuesday. We better have another point release. Uh, I, I don't understand why people do that. But in the case of, of like GNOME and um, and KDE, KDE and, and all these guys, they not only do that, but it's like, here's a whole big chunk of broken code We'll just throw it out there because it's the six months and we have to have a release. And and that frustrates me. Oh, yeah. Instead of releasing the broken code, they should have done more job. You know, I think, but I'm not a developer, but I think they should have spent a little more time fixing some of the little GNOME 2 bugs that they had and slowly get everyone shifted over to this giant behemoth that they call GNOME Shell. Yeah, but uh, there you go. Even the uh, the avowed KDE lover has some good things to say about GNOME Shell. So that's yeah. that was good. I, I I honestly I did not expect that at all. 
ha I expected 30 seconds of bashing, and that would be the end of that segment of the show. Speaking of segments of the show, it's time for our tips of the week. Mr. Command Line Godfather, have you got a good geeky command line for us this week? No, not with everything that's been going on this week. I, I, I'm sorry, all command line people, but this week was kind of, for lack of a better term, crazy. All right, so you've got about 35 seconds while Seth does here. Uh, his to make one up ready go <laughs> seth what is your seth link of the week I, i've i've given up trying to describe them they're simply <laughs> seth links what do you yeah for us this i week? wanted to go for something that i thought was cool this week rather than over the top weirdness so i found this uh it's it was actually a news story but it's on yahoo where this guy finds photographs of the past and then he goes to the same place and takes a picture it kind of interposes the two together. So like when you go there, um, the first one is uh, there's a photo from a spot in 1978 and he took another one to like in 2013 and he put the two of them together. And it just looks kind of cool because you see this modern place and then part of it is this old black and white thing sticking out of it. And it just looked neat. And I wanted to share it with the element OP legions of people out there and thought you could go, hey, that's kind of cool, too. So yeah, there's a word for that technique. I can't remember what it was, but uh, Chevy did a whole commercial about it uh, a while back, where the people took—I think it was Chevy—took pictures of their old Chevy cars and and then uh, superimposed those onto the modern locations. What I like about this uh, this gallery here is that whenever possible, he's put uh, modern day pictures of uh, people in with the old people, so you get the real sense of juxtaposition but it's it's kind of cool you get this little blurry uh grainy photo of a wartime guy standing in front of of some building and then you see the modern equivalent of that same building still ravaged by war um it's it, it is interesting uh and if you're at all artistic or enjoyed uh, enjoy history you'll appreciate this uh photo gallery yeah i thought it was i, I thought it was pretty interesting so i was like Dude, yeah. that's something that I want to share with a wider audience. So, Kinria Zoltan, um, or however you pronounce your name, uh, you've now increased your exposure. There's a couple of them. I don't know uh, if it's intentional or accidental, and I get the sense that it's accidental, but the people, the modern day people, look like they're interacting with the with the 1930s 1940s people just right. the way they're like they're, if you're at a famous landmark and somebody's taking a picture of that landmark it just so happens that it looks like they're taking a picture of the people in the old photo so it's, it's really cool check it out uh, yeah, it's, it's really 24 cool photos picture. it won't take much of your time but it's certainly worth uh, worth looking at yeah i put the link in the chat room and it'll be up in the show notes um, chat room says the URL isn't working. Let me try repasting it and see what we get. Uh, but anyway, certainly we'll be in the show notes. Um, Seth, did you, uh, Chris, me. did you come up with anything in that brief window of time? No, sorry. Oh, come on, my, man. My head's still not working. I could just drop one, but well, that's I don't know if it actually make works. It <laughs> make it up, huh? I don't know if it actually works. That's awesome. Um, maybe, sorry. maybe I'll get, uh, I'll send an email to Anthony at Linux Academy and have him come up with a list of things that are in his tutorials 
And that'll be cross-marketing. How about that? Look at me trying to go. be all business-like and stuff. Uh, hey, that's our show pretty much this week, folks. Uh, let us know what you thought about it over at elementop.com. Uh, while you're there, you can find the forums. Again, uh, the feedback I read on the show almost never comes from the forums. It's only a rare occasion when somebody posts it in the forums and emails it to me. I read emails and sometimes the odd uh, Google Plus post, but for the most part, I let those communities stand on their own. So there's more stuff out there, more conversation going on at elementopi.com in the uh, forum section. Uh, you can always, of course, use the contact us button. It'll send us an email and we can, um, uh, what was I going to say? I've, I've just lost my train of thought. I was reading the chat room. That's what happened. <laughs> anyway. And we're um, broken. Uh, if you, uh, um, Go use the contact us button. That's it. It sends me an email. I will put it in the show. I'll forward it on to the guys. Or if you want to skip the middleman, send an email to edl at elementop.com. That'll go to all three of us simultaneously, and we will read it and laugh about it and make fun of you and then put it on the show later. Also, if you want to uh, literally be on the show, have your voice be heard, just uh, if you're in the, the, the U.S. and Canada anyway, uh, you can call 559-IAM-OPI. That is our Google voice number. You can leave us a voicemail there, and I'll play it on the show. Or if you're outside the U.S., you still want to make your voice be heard, just send me a, a WAV file or an not, not a WAV file. Those are giant. An MPEG or an OGG or something like that. Uh, and uh, we'll play it on the show. I love it when people do that. I love to, to have other voices on the show, even if they're calling out the command line godfather. So we encourage you to do that. Also, while you're there, if you just happen to decide to, you want to kick a few bucks into the tip jar, well, I wouldn't be too mad about that. And thanks again to those of you who've been using the elementopi.com slash Amazon link to buy your Amazon stuff. Um, uh, I see the numbers going up every week. I'm glad you're out there doing that. Uh, again, it's not going to make anybody rich, but it's a, it's a simple way you can help and every penny I make on this show, the, 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 what the advertisers give, uh, give me, what, uh, what uh, the tip jar makes, what I get from the Amazon, I put all of that stuff back into the show. Uh, I, I send some of it off to, to these two guys here. I buy new equipment with it. So I'm not just pocketing your money. Uh, if you decide to donate, you are making the show better. You directly are having a hand in making uh, the show better. So that's all my preaching about that. Uh, guys, any more comments before we say goodnight? Nah, that's it, Lucy. <laughs> say goodnight, Gracie. Goodnight, John boy. Seth, you want to give us a good belch before we... No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, good night, everybody. Thanks for being with us. And that ends this episode of Everyday Things. Everyday Things.